trying to decide if I should start or just wait. There for a reason. Love you all. Just feeling real affectionate this morning. I think it's some of the Lord's affection for all of you. Um, Lord, just thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your uh, leading us in your ways. Thank you that you are patient. You are um, like a master instructor leading us through the lessons, guiding our hands um, and our feet and our tongues. Lord, we just, we long um, we long to look like you. But I know, um, I know you are a God who is patient in the process as well. So I want to be, be patient in the process, Lord. I want to see things how you see it. Time how you see it. Growing into what you've made us to be, how you see it. And Lord, um, we just, as I'm saying what I've heard you say, would you, would you just speak to us through your spirit? Um, some of these things that we know, that we have repeated a hundred times, but it takes your spirit to to bring real revelation. To take the words and turn them into life. I love, Lord. Thank you. Just thank you for your written word. This contact point between heaven and earth. The way you touch us through it. Amen. Let's go to Jeremiah 17. The Lord keeps bringing me back to this passage over the last several weeks. And I finally see the trees out there prophetically <laughs> over the last uh, two years. Something has happened to them, and I was just like, eh, okay, um, but now I've finally seen it prophetically, so I can talk about that. Jeremiah 17, 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes because its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought nor will cease from yielding fruit. It just occurred to me like, 
<laughs> you know, because you're reading it and you're like picturing it. Okay, what does this represent? And you think about not being, oh, it's going to be nice not to be anxious. But uh, for the first time, I'd actually pictured a, a worried tree. Um, <laughs> shivering a little bit, like, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> what? Right, right. <laughs> but this tree will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. As a partridge that broods but does not hatch, so is he who gets riches but not by right. It will leave him in the midst of his days, and at his end he will be a fool. It's kind of lovely when when scripture gets, you know, the Lord inspires real clarity. It's like, I'm just going to set up two things and compare them, you know, right? It's real, kind of like, here is um, a man who trusts in men and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. And just a little bit of adversity dried up. But the one that's planted by water has green leaf, isn't anxious, and doesn't stop producing fruit. And of course, like right on its face, we're comparing trusting in our flesh and our strength, um, which is linked to heart departing from the Lord, right? There's no, I'm going to trust in my strength and I'm going to keep listening to God. The trusting in the, in the flesh ties directly to. And over time, I'm farther and farther away from the Lord versus trusting in the Lord, having all of my hope in the Lord. And that's where I get to be green and ever fruitful and not anxious. But I want to point out that this leafy greenness and this um, yielding fruit thing is a result. It's not the thing that this, um, it's, it's not the source of this tree's life. You know, we look at it and we're like, okay, a tree that's got fruit on it, it's got leaves, must be alive. But it's really that water, it's that source that it's drawing from that it leads to those things. The tree can't be like, you know what, I got some rotten fruit. I got some dead leaves. I really need to get better at producing fruit. I really need to get better at, at, at leafing out. I need, to, I need more fullness. And if it's concentrated on those things, um, is it going deep and getting water? Because um, we're set up in this comparison that both of these trees, there is a point where they're okay. The point it, where they're not okay is when the drought comes and the real, and when they're tested, basically. And that's um, what I want to link out to here. So if you don't know, basically, we planted the seven trees, I don't know, three years ago, four years ago? Um, <laughs> and then another tree got added, but I, we didn't put the little barriers around them that are out there now, the little white tubes. Um, and... What happened is over winter, rabbits, maybe other critters, 
like to eat the bark because they can't get there's no green stuff for them to get this is one of the ways they survive through the winter um and unfortunately the way trees are well i don't know it's unfortunate but the way trees are designed they can get a sort of subsistence through their trunk but there are vital nutrients that come through networks that are right near the surface where the bark is so a tree, once it's been what's been called girdled, once a critter comes and eats all the bark around it, for a while it can still draw up enough nutrients to put out its spring, put out its leaves the next year, maybe even a little bit of fruit. And when you read up on this, um, people who know trees call them dead trees that don't know they're dead yet. Uh, and so this actually happened two seasons ago that we noticed that two of them on the ends, two of the apple trees had been girdled. And we also noticed one of the things that trees can do, they don't always do, is they can grow like a scar bridge across from where there is bark down low and there's bark up high and actually reconnect that new low. And that appears to be, I'm not a tree expert, this is all just stuff I've read up on after failing to have protected the trees properly. Um, one of them out there is still full of leaves right now. It actually, from what I can tell looking at it, has this scar bridge. The one that's dead right now, which we'll get rid of eventually and maybe replace, um, the one that's dead out there lasted a whole nother season after we saw that it was girdled. It leafed out last year. I think it might even made a couple of tiny little apples on it um, because it was a dead tree that didn't know it was dead yet. Which is all to say, this is still about can it get from the source what it needs to survive? It's not the leaves that make it alive. It's not the fruit that makes it alive. Those are the consequences of the fact that it's still got a source of life coming into it. So I kind of want to um, dig into that a little bit today. I feel the difficulty in sharing some of these things because the words sound really similar, even though in the spirit there is a vast difference between them. So... Um, Bear with me and Holy Spirit help. Let's go to Matthew 21. Verse, starting in verse Matthew 21, 23. Now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, but what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? So who's confronting him? Chief priests and elders, people who know the word of God, the written word of God, right? They know um, the commandments, the traditions. 
But Jesus answered them and said to them, I'll also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I'll likewise tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he'll say to us, Why then did you not believe him? And if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. Interesting here that this is a question of, like, where are you drawing from? I've talked about this in, you know, what authority are you under? Who are you? But it's also, where are you receiving these things that you're now then giving out? So they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Um, so, of course, like on the surface, or I don't know if it's on the surface, but you know, the, the plain reading of this is Jesus is talking about the judging of the outward versus the inward. What do we see? You know, the... The, these elders and um, chief priests who, of course, look down on the prostitutes and the tax collectors who are known for cheating, um, holding back some of the money for themselves, that um, they're responding. You know, the, the people, these are the ones who are actually responding to Jesus preaching, and yet the, he's being resisted by those who should know better. Um, which goes back to, actually, that Jeremiah verse. I went forward too quickly. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. They're looking, going, you know what? I see leaves. I see some fruit on there. Um, So this must be a good tree. Whereas the Lord is like, you know what? There's a response in these people that look kind of like shaggy, worn out looking trees, not producing any fruit. Their roots are going deep and connecting into the source and there will be fruit on them. But I see your shiny trees full of look apparent life with no root. And I know what's going to happen. But um, let's also take a moment. This is something I have never done before, is to actually think about um, this parable from the point of view of these two sons. And I always read it, and I think of it as a father, right? As like, well, look, that's the son that like, was like, seemed like he was going to do what I wanted, and he didn't. This is the son who uh, said nope, but then went and did it anyway. And so I always think of like, okay, so as a father, what am I more pleased as? But... What are these sons thinking, and how are they evaluating where they're at? If you've got the guy who says, the son who's like, yeah, I'll go take care of it, and then never gets around to it, is he in a place where he's judging himself and saying, you know what, I'm just messing up? No, he's in this sort of carefree place of like, yeah, I said I'd go do it. I haven't got around to it yet. As opposed to the son who's like, no, I'm not going to do that, Dad. 
there has to be a moment where he's like, you know, that wasn't right. I probably should go take care of it. And then he goes and takes care of it. Or he wouldn't take care of it, right? If he stayed in that place. So here's one son kind of being like, yeah, I'll take care of it. But clearly didn't intend to. It was like, whatever. Never gets around to it. He's in a pretty, you know, like internal place of, I'm good. As opposed to the other son who's like, ah, I messed up. I totally disobeyed my father by just saying I wouldn't do it. And I took care of it, but, you know, I feel bad about that. He's, if he's going to assess himself on a purely natural way, if you ask him, you know, are you a good son? His response is going to be, not really. You know, I totally told my dad no. I just, like, I blew him off, and I went and did it. But whereas the other son's going, you know what? You know, yeah, I'm good. Dad tells me to do something. I totally say right, yes, right away. I'm, 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 a, I'm a good son. We are so good at talking ourselves into things that aren't really true. And um, going back to Paula's message on the power of the tongue, one of the most powerful things we can do is talk about something so much we convince ourselves that we're actually doing it. Which, of course, um, is the danger of being in the church, having, you know, songs and psalms and scripture in our mouths all the time is convincing ourselves that, yeah, yeah, our heart's right. I'm plugged into the source because I'm saying it a lot. Versus being in the place of, oh, you know what? I, I blew it. Like, I, I was impatient at that moment. And I'm going to go into the place of repentance. And the father's like, you know, which one is actually the obedient child of mine? Let's go to Exodus 34. Thirty-four twenty-eight. We got a lot of light metaphor going on right here, right? We're named the lighthouse of prayer. We talk about shining. We talk about shining out. We talk about, you know, getting to the place um, where our faces shine. And I want to, I want to, like separate a little bit um, something. <laughs> Exodus 34, 28. Um, so the question is, why? why? Why did Moses come down from the mountain shining? So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So is Moses at this point coming down the mountain shining because the Lord's like, yep, I've perfected you. You're never going to be impatient again. You're never going to be um, frustrated. You're never going to like say things you know, out of your... Um, 
out of your impatience, you're never going to act out in impatience again. No, we know. We know Moses' story. He's going to go on after this moment where he is shining with the glory of God to hit a rock when he should have talked to it and be told, you can see the promised land, but you can't go into it. It's not because he's not shining at this moment because he's gotten to a place where he is patient and kind and loving and good. He's at this place because he's been with the Lord, receiving for him for 40 days. He hasn't eaten or drink, drank. He's been sustained by the Lord. He's been given, you know, all of this. Here's how you're going to run this um, people that I've brought up out of slavery. I've, I've sustained you on the mountain 40 days. I've talked to you. And you're shining because you've been here listening to me and just receiving. He's shining because he's plugged into a source, the source, the Lord at that moment. Not because he's a really good tree. Which is to also say, when we talk about shining, when we want to get to the place where we shine, where um, we're known by our love. The light that draws is never going to be my patience or your patience, your kindness, my kindness, my love. It's going to be when we are fully in his love and his patience and his kindness. Matthew 5, 14. This is, this is what we, can, we are shining out to the world right now, is that we're not patient and we're not kind and we're not loving. And, you know, we sort of stumble through this house of prayer thing, but we're putting all our trust that this is what the Lord said to do and we're just going to keep doing it, and that his love and patience and kindness is going to be worked out through this place. You know, the world has a kind of version of wisdom. Most traditions in the earth have um, that basic love people as you would want to be loved rule. What they don't have is the one who can actually do that, living inside them and pouring out through them. Matthew five fourteen. you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Who's the light of the world? Jesus. Also, according to this, we are. But we are because we are a city with light in it, not because we are the flame. And even he, the perfect, sinless son of God, one of three persons in the Trinity, even he shone the Father's light, not his own, while he was on earth. How much more so are we never going to shine any of our own light? Revelation 21, verse 9. 
Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I'll show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Skipping down to 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. That's the city on the hill that we are looking to be. And it's easy, I think, to get caught up in all of the wealth you know, God is wealthy. He is the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He is the one who can send down a city made of gems and gold. But why are they gems? And it's not just because, ooh, that's the thing that men really like. They're transparent. They're all gems. Catch light and throw it back in dazzling beauty. And the gold is even so pure it's transparent like glass. This is a city that's designed to not stop any of the light from flowing. Its whole purpose is to have that light inside it and have that light shine out and touch every single part of it. Which also means nothing needs to be hidden, you know? Like we, we built our cities and we've got, we want to let the light in, but you got to have a covering on the windows because... You need some privacy. And in this city, there is no privacy. There is just pure light out through because all the people who live there are transparent as well, shining with his light. So we talk about sanctification in the prayer room, that, that you know, we receive... Jesus, and we're justified, and then there is a process of sanctification. And sanctification, I think it's easy to get sanctification kind of mingled up with righteousness. But really, sanctification at its core just means being set apart. It means being marked for his use. Holiness also just means otherness. It means being divided off from everything else into a special category, his. And so like the tree that produces leaves and fruit because it is plugged into the source, righteousness comes out of being being sanctified, being set apart. It's the positioning under the blood of Jesus because it's not our righteousness, it's his righteousness we're coming under. Ephesians 5.18, which we just heard. (laughs) Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And the Spirit links 
himself, to whine, to point out something, that he is, it's an influence, right? When you are inebriated, there is an influence driving you. But there is a better influence, which is the Spirit. And all of these things coming out, the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, giving thanks to all things, submitting to one another in the fear of God, come out of being influenced, being moved by the Spirit. Uh, James 3.11. Again, tying back to the tongue message from earlier. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. You know, and he says, James says, nobody, it's, it's impossible for you to tame your tongue because there's something better than trying to tame your tongue. That's having a different source that drives your tongue, which is the Spirit of God. Let's go to Romans 10. So going back to that... um, that you know, our, that the heart is really deceitful. That we can tell ourselves things. I mean, you, you really only have to be around people for a decade or two before you start to realize how easy it is for people, for all of us, to tell ourselves stories that then become what we call our memories. And so um, I think part of this message comes out of it's really natural um, with the time that we've been praying and repenting and reaching for sanctification to try to assess, is it working? You know, am I growing in these things in the fruit of the Spirit? Am I growing in righteousness? And I believe the Lord wants to go, wants to say, you know, he is the one who can really assess that. And that it is a very slippery, easy thing to do for us all to assess it completely wrongly. Because it's easy and a very, um, a very short step to think that his cleaning up of us is somehow making us to the point where we are in and of ourselves patient and kind and loving. We think, you know, I've been repenting of all these things for so many years now. And I start going, why do I have to keep repenting for them? Why do I still have occasion to repent for them. And that is actually because we're slipping back 
into that strength of the flesh that withers up when the drought comes. We're still going, Lord, it is a hard thing to be like, I'm going to need to live in your patience for the rest of my existence. Can't you make me a little intrinsically patient? Romans 10, 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. I just want to highlight that, this difference. So, um, the spirit here in Romans through Paul is putting that, um, marking that line between God's righteousness and their own righteousness because these are people who have zeal for God and for righteousness. But that it is not a guarantee unless we know that our zeal for God and for righteousness is submitting to his righteousness, not asking him to form some of our own for us. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, the man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So there's a... um, there's a distinction to be made. When he says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, which Christ already came, and who um, will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, you know, he already rose. There is not a, we need to make righteousness happen There is an entering into his righteousness. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So the prayer room is not purposed to make us righteous. It's not, I repent from being impatient And at some point, I'm done with that. I can move on to repenting for something else because my impatience is gone. But it does get us to the point where we're like, oh, I need your patience. I will always need your patience. I have repented down until I can feel the bottom of where my natural patience is. And I know I'm always going to need you so that it becomes where we live is in his patience, not longing for ours. 
which is where we get to the place where there is no shame. And we've, we keep praying that. The Spirit keeps having people pray um, and, and ask for shame to be lifted off in this place, for it to be taken out. And that's where, like um, Jen was talking about, like that, that lack of being fragile when someone comes and goes, hey, you know, you did something that hurt me. Hey, you're doing something that's not quite right. If we've really repented, it should be so easy to go, I recognize who you're seeing because I've, I've found it. When you say, you've come and you've said, you were impatient, I can go, yes, I know. I know I'm an impatient person. It should be so easy. It's not. It's not yet. But it should be so easy. Yeah, I am somebody who says offensive things. I know that. I'm so sorry. I am a person who gives up easily. You're absolutely right. Thank you for letting me know that I did it in this occasion. And then shame is gone because, because we recognize it. We don't have to cover anymore. Galatians 5, 13. And I should be getting to that point where I recognize that when I am ashamed, when somebody says, I saw this in you, you did this thing. When shame comes, that's my warning sign that I've still got part of me that wants to be good instead of wants his goodness in me. Galatians 5.13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Um, Six months ago or something like that, I started praying and really feeling just this sense of this door right in front of us, and freedom was specifically what was on the other side. Because really, all we've got is positioning. Like, we can't make anything happen. Coming to the prayer room and praying is about positioning. It's, it's about putting ourselves under the blood in a position. It's about, you know, opening, saying, Holy Spirit, flow out. But we can't make the Spirit flow. All we can do is a very, very passive sort of things. Receive position. When we speak out, when we worship, you know, when we get into that bind of like, Do I really believe these things? Am I really living out this? Am I allowed to say this scripture? Am I allowed to sing this song because I start judging whether or not that's actually manifest in my life? That's shame, and that's that's the flesh. That's the flesh trying to bring the works back up because there's a place when we sing out something that we're not seeing the fruit of in our lives. We're making a choice by the Spirit to position ourselves in that place to receive the thing we don't have from the one who does have it. Been called to liberty. And then he goes on to say, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. There's a, it's a tricky thing of the flesh, because we think of the flesh as the thing that does all of the horrible stuff. And we just need to get rescued out of that, right? The Spirit, the spirit does the good stuff. The flesh does the bad stuff. We want to not do the bad stuff. But the flesh also is like, hey, I can get on board with this righteousness thing if I get to get taken along with it. Like, if I get to be, you know, have some strength, some, some patience and some love that, that comes from me, I'm good with that. We can do the good stuff as long as I can, like, go, yeah, yeah, I had that in me. Because it doesn't want to die, right? The old man doesn't want to die. So the old man oh, is good yeah, to like do a little bargaining and be like, yeah, I, I can be on the side of love, joy, peace, and patience as long as, you know, as long as it's me there. Whereas the gospel of Jesus is calling us to take up our cross, follow him, and let that old thing die. But it's persistent. And it's harder, it's easier to look at it and go, oh, my flesh rose up and I did something horrible. I just said something nasty. I just acted on impulse. And it's, it's easy to go, okay, I, I want that thing to die. But how hard is it when I, out of my flesh, was like, yeah, I'll help you. you know, I'll take care of that thing for you so you don't have to do it. Or a myriad of other things that seem good but were flesh. How hard is it to go, I want that to die too? If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And that's where it's easy to see all those things and go, oh, the bad things. But things like selfish ambition... You know, I offered to help, and you didn't want my help, and now I'm mad about it. You know, that, that was fleshly service, not Holy Spirit service. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, including the desire to be good and do good, to have righteousness in and of ourselves. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. So, um, Jen's message on love last week, you know, what, what's our reaction to that? Um, is it, yeah, I gotta love more. I can start thinking about ways I can love more. How do I convince myself to love more? What do I do to give myself more affection for y'all so it'll be easier to love? Or do I receive that message and go, Yes, 
I need the Lord's love in me because I really don't have love in me apart from him. I really need to come under the one who laid down his life because I really don't want to lay down my life. Do I beat myself up? Or do I let it lead me into surrender and praising the Lord because I have a Savior who is offering to give me all of the love of heaven to put it in me, to flow it out of me as long as I keep staying with him. I know, I know this is a place of so much freedom. If I can do this tiny little change of getting to the point where it's all about, and I feel it, it's happening. I mean, this is the process of repentance. It is the process um, of getting seven, going on eight years into um, repenting and being like, man, I'm still repenting about this thing. You know, that should be the big clue. That, Like, yeah. Because you need to be plugged in to him, not waiting for him to fix you so that you don't need to plug into him anymore. Response team want to come up? Whoever you are. <laughs> Never quite sure. Is it always the worship leader? Not always. It is a flexible thing, isn't it? Okay. Okay. I feel like maybe there's a system I don't know about. But... Right? Super secret. So you got to know the worship leader secret handshake before you get that information. The world is, um, like, you don't have to be in the church. You don't have to know Jesus to want a kind of love, to want to be a loving person. Um, And there are little communities all over the world of people who, you know, oh, somebody's down, let's help take care of them. That's, That's not an extraordinary thing to be like, you know, let's help somebody out who doesn't have the money right now or who is sick. Or... And those are all beautiful things. Um, and part of that's because there is a grace that's shed out throughout the world by the Lord that, um, that even those who are way in darkness, like reach, continue to reach for light and desire it. But but there's something even better than, hey, we kind of like give back and forth to each other a little bit until we're all kind of in this network of we've all given to each other and all received. And so we feel like, you know, good there. And that is the love of Jesus, which is, I'm going to lay down my life even though you're all rejecting me right now. And most of you will continue to. And it's okay. I don't need you to receive it, to still do it. Um, 
that's a love that only he has. And it's a love that he's offering if we'll consent to put to death all of that natural in us strength of love to death and go, I need you. I love your love. I'm going to stop gauging whether or not I love that person without you and be like, I just, I'm all in for, I just need your love all the time flowing through me. In 2 Corinthians 5, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Lord, um, thank you for that invitation to turn pages. I thank you for that invitation to walk through a door. Would you just lead us? We just, we're going to keep saying yes until you take us in to that place of freedom, Lord. Where the love in this place is nothing we can manufacture. It is all you. Flowing through, overflowing, surrendered people. Lord, again, I ask that you remove shame, embarrassment, that uh, you take out the root cause of that, which is just pride and a desire for my own righteousness. And would you pour out your spirit, Lord? Would you Um, connect this tree into the source so that there would be abundant fruit, good for eating, leaves for healing. Amen.
Oh, David, that's a lot of um, a lot of meat. So I imagine that we might have a prayer set on that service another day too, um, <laughs> as we digest. Um, but something from the very beginning that that struck me. I'm going to share something. Um, I've been talking to the Lord a lot because from gosh, from almost day one, we've always talked about the flesh and doing things in the flesh versus the spirit and um, how the world's going to continue in that way. And that's antichrist because so I've been I really the last few weeks asking the Lord to just I just really wanted that personal understanding deeper inside of me of of fleshy action because because it's often really good like it seems really good and I asked him to give just bring something up that would give me a picture so I could understand better the ways of the world that are good for something but that are actually not of the Lord and they produce in the long term things that are judgment judgment and bad and uh, funny enough it came in the form of um nutrition which understanding that in the 70s when they hybridized wheat um, and that wheat used to grow this tall and I thought it was very prophetic because you know wheat is tares wheat and tares um, but wheat used to be this tall and now because they increased the abundance of it for in response really good heart response um, to feed people because we were in a starvation point and so now they had to make the stocks this big and they produce 10 times as much wheat per stock but along with that this new wheat has um and i'll even give you the name because i wrote it down amylopectin a it produces this type of thing that is used to be amylopectin c in the old wheat and i hope i'm getting this all right but that is what has caused a lot of our sugar crisis because of what the spike it does and it stresses the pancreas so it really has turned out to be bad so yes it fed a lot of people but it's created a health crisis and that really spoke to me because one it was wheat and um and when david was talking it kind of helped tie in that it really the lord just said to me the emergencies of the earth are not yours to fix and then I brought it down to my friends and even this church. Your emergencies aren't for me to fix. And so, Father God, I'm coming up here. I, I just thank you for that and this tie-in. And, and um, I didn't know I was going to be sharing that. Um, but I felt like I wanted to pray, Father, for us as a body um, to truly receive your love and give your love to truly receive your patience and give your patience to this body, to be okay to sit in silence when someone has a crisis and say, Lord, what would you have me do? And wait to hear. I'm so bad at that, Lord. I'm so um, quick to respond. Father, help us hear you. Help us move in your spirit. Help us be a deliverer of your love your patience and peace in Jesus name
children outgrow their parents and leave them and um, so you're also a spouse and um, Lord I just pray um, you'd give us revelation that where we can um, that ties together just the weak analogies that you've used to describe yourself to us God that we would come into more fullness um, and in more agreement for um, who you really are and who we really are to you God that um no mind could comprehend what what you are, um, except that you reveal it to us, God. And um, so I'm praying just um, just more revelation in this season for um, kind of like we have, yeah, we have some analogies, God. But it's more, it's all of that, and it's more, and it's different than what we think. And um, help us to see that forever forever with you forever holding your hand and yet forever maturing and growing and becoming more like you but never wanting to let go of you First Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I become a sounding brass and a cleaning or a clinging symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove bounds, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It doesn't, it's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. 
bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which in part will be done away with. Lord, we, we thank you that you are the source of love. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that what a relief it is that none of these things um, are sourced in us. So, Lord Jesus, we just continue to ask for an increase in your love, for it to overflow, for the staying connected to your root, Lord. We, um, Lord, I want your love flowing through me, Lord, all the time. And I thank you that it is your, that it, there's great freedom in knowing that, that you are the source of all of these beautiful things. So, Lord Jesus, I just keep coming to you and asking you to let those things be sourced in you, to stay connected into your beautiful vine that is the source and supply. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians 3. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard to you. And down in verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of, of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called my heavenward in Christ Jesus. So, Father God, I repent of um, stuttering. <laughs> I repent of um, getting frustrated that I haven't arrived already and that I'm not some perfected tool to be glorified here on earth. That's so fleshy, Father. Um, I want to I grow in humility and press on towards the heavenly goal, not worried about here on earth. Um, not to get 
caught up in a whirlwind of uh, just frustration and um, boredom and in judgment upon hearing the same thing that I heard three years ago and being like, well, I said that three years ago. <laughs> it's just being said now, Father. And, and yet it's now being taken as good. And, and it's so fleshy, Father. I just, and yet I didn't grow in it. I did not arrive. I did not achieve um, because I did not let you in did not let you touch that innermost part of me to lay it down at the cross to take it up so father um, I just want to enter in through that door to freedom the freedom of walking with you the freedom of repenting the freedom of realizing that it's not about me I don't know why I always keep thinking it's about me through all